Welcome to the Green Element Podcast, where we meet business leaders, innovators, transforming their operations to be more environmentally and socially sustainable, and in the process, help you on your journey of sustainability. I'm your host, Will Richardson. With me today is Joss Harrison. He is the global head of brand experience and design at Reckitt. Reckitt is a multinational consumer goods company which produces health, hygiene, and nutrition products. Joss has worked with Reckitt for over 11 years, and his ambition is to bring brands closer to people to ultimately improve lives with regards to their health and happiness. Joss, welcome to the Green Element Podcast. Hi, Will. Thanks for having me. Now, I understand that you're an advocate of brands being a force for good as they cross borders, cultures, age groups, genders, and ethnicity. Let me start by asking you, what role do you see brands playing to make the world a better place? I think brands in the last 15, 20 years have have changed completely the role that they play in in society and and therefore, of course, in our lives. Uh, And we see across the world a a reduced reliance and a reduced trust, perhaps, in more official bodies like governments, um, even some NGOs. Uh, and I think people are, are looking a lot more to, to brands and corporations, particularly those that are most visible to them, for some kind of guidance, some kind of support, and ultimately a, a positive effect in the world. So I think that brands now almost have a responsibility to to use their scale or their influence um, or simply the, the things that they produce, whether it's a product or a service, to somehow create that effect. It's, it's really it's really interesting. And just to bring it into context of the brands that you have within your portfolio, I mean, you've got Dettol, Airwick, Durex, Finish, um, Gaviscon, to name a few. I mean, they are household names. And it's it's an interesting concept of what you're talking about yeah so uh, as with the kind of brands that we we have you can see how we feel as a as a as brand owners we feel that responsibility hugely um you know if you think about our our products probably touch people's lives throughout their their day every day uh, in some of the most important parts of of their lives the the things that affect their loved ones the things that affect their own health um, and so the, these products, of course, have a huge, huge influence and, and therefore a, a significant role to play in, in people's lives. Even if it's a, a small moment in, in that day using a, a toilet cleaning product, you know, how do we ensure that the, that product is, is safe to use, that I understand how it's used easily, that I'm not uh, kind of making mistakes in its use, I'm getting the most out of the product? How do I ensure that um, the, the the user knows where the product has come from, um, where it's going to in terms of disposal and recycling and so on. So I think every every touch point, every opportunity to connect with the brand is a, a time that the brand should be showing that responsibility and, and providing whether it's information, reassurance, absolute sort of safety and, and uh, confidence that it forms a, a part of someone's self-care or, or home care regime in our case at least i mean you mentioned the toilet cleaner uh, i would imagine it's harpic that we're yes, um, yeah. talking about with that in mind what's the difference between i mean we've heard of the methods of covers and these um, people that talk about sustainability as a part of their whole 
brand messaging. Where do you sit um, in relation to um, those type of companies? So probably closer than you, you would think. Um, it, it really becomes a discussion around brand equity. You know, what, what is the, the USP of each of those brands? What are they known for? And how does a, an individual user identify that, that brand and, and its point of difference? Uh, and I think uh, Harpic, as, as our example, has its history in, in some degree of innovation um, and probably power and, and germ kill. So these kind of core needs of, of toilet cleaning and, and bathroom maintenance, if you like, hygiene, um, have formed what the brand is today, whereas the methods and ecovares of the, of the world have, have started from a different point and actually a different point in time when the, the need for um, sort of perceived to be safer chemicals or more natural solutions has become more apparent and more of a decision driver for people. So their, their brand centers around that particular fulfillment. But what you find is that the, the formulae that are used, the active ingredients that are used, uh, differ very little between the majority of the, the larger uh, brand owners, because all of these brand owners, of course, have that same responsibility, that same governance that's that's required in order to be able to to sell products and to provide solutions to people. So, the the additional accompaniment to the product solution um, starts to become the the more important aspect of the brand. You know, how does the brand demonstrate its commitment to sustainability? For example, whether that's ecological sustainability or whether it's some of the other kind of less consumer facing or, or less well understood aspects of of ethics and responsibility as a company so if i think about um kind of inclusivity for example uh the the influence that we have on on our end users uh, to ensure that their their home is is hygienically safe for their family and so on i think it goes beyond simply the use of the product and there are there are other ways to to add to that brand value through digital touch points through um, work that we do in other parts of the world and, and making that information available to the user and so on so it probably a long answer to a short question but it becomes quite a complex discussion around the equity of the brand and how do we as brand owners, ensure that the the activities the brand undertakes are congruent and authentic with that that point of difference that the brand has. And we talk about it internally as a company, uh, as purpose. What is the purpose of the brand? Why does it exist in the first place? And what is its sole driving objective that guides all of its actions? Hmm. And is it harder for you to move through that journey because you started from an earlier point you you mentioned that um people have start you know organizations have started at different um basically times where um yes chemicals weren't deemed as so bad in the 60s 50s 40s etc whereas they are now and it's the it's that cultural change i guess is what i'm getting at and it's that change in mentality um is it harder so i think it's it's simply different um the irony in a way is that if you talk about the the purpose of a brand the the driving force that kind of goes throughout all of its actions its products its services and so on um the i think the general perception particularly in the in the business world is that more recently established companies have a more intrinsic sense of purpose because this the kind of the startup model if you like is that 
you know, a small group of people aim to solve a particular problem. It's a problem they face and they've experienced. And so every action they take is, is totally dedicated to solving that problem. Now, of course, the irony is that the vast majority of the, the world leading brands in, in home care and, and other FMCG uh, categories actually started in the same way just a very long time ago. You know, if I look at Harpic, it's, it's 100 years old this year. Um, Lysol and Dettol, similarly, they're, they're sort of around the 100-year mark. Um, even Airwick, I think, is something like 80 years old. Um, and what you find when you look back at the the inception points of these these big global brands is actually they probably started with a single product. And that product was a... Um, a technical a technological solution whether chemical technology or or electronics or whatever it was a solution to a specific human need um, and i think that that truth of that human need is actually reflected in today's use cases and today's need states um, and it's just kind of brought forward actually the way we think about the purpose for our brands is uh, starts with thinking of it starts with looking at the way the brand uh started and, and, and grew initially what was the problem it was originally solving and what's the equivalent um authentic problem that people face in today's society that ha- connects directly to that uh, and then it's about understanding how that um is translated into the future activities and direction of the brand so that it remains relevant it remains able to expand or grow or or change some of its solutions to meet the needs of people's kind of evolving lifestyle should that be communicated more wide widely then yeah i think it's perhaps something that um fmcg brand owners maybe don't do enough is explain i guess simply put where the brand comes from you know what is its heritage and and why does it exist in the first place and you see it from from some of the the sort of global set of brands that you think of as industry leading but maybe it's not articulated explicitly enough. I think um, FMCG as an industry tends to direct the majority of its above the line communications, kind of predominantly advertising, um, tends to direct it at uh, specific products. So kind of driving awareness of of a particular solution to a problem. Um, And you don't see a great deal of what you might think of in other industries as as equity advertising. You know, the, the explanation in sort of everyday terms of what the company stands for or what they do in multiple channels, how they're acting, what their stance is on a particular issue. Um, I, I think there's a perception inside the industry and out that FMCG brands often don't kind of have the the authority, maybe is the word, or the, the kudos to, to be able to put across a point of view that incorporates their, their long-term heritage and maybe provides a point of view on on specific um, current day issues, I think there's also a degree of risk involved in in exposing a point of view. Um, but I think there are ways to to deal with that, and and it becomes a question of how much does the 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 end user or the the um, the average person understand about your brand? Not just do they recognise it, which of course, as a designer, is is a large part of of what my my job is and, and my teams is you know instant recognition of brands. Um, and their their point of distinctiveness, but I think far more importantly, what is the brand about? How does how do I understand it as a as a average person? Um, what can I expect from it? And I think that really only comes through implicitly 
through the brand's actions. Because if I'm just telling you I do something and the reason I do it, it's maybe less credible than you seeing me actually doing that, actually taking those actions, actually having a positive effect if we kind of bring it back around to the the, the point about purpose. I, I don't really want to say my purpose as a brand is this because honestly my my challenge as a as an end user would be okay sounds good show me you're obviously an ardent about ensuring brands and their products are improving the quality of life for people in the planet what benefits have you seen for Reckitt by taking this approach well i think the you hear a lot of people talk about sustainability um in ecological terms um and i i think we're only just as a as an industry and in fact as a world starting to evolve from the position of assumed responsibility for ecological issues let's say and a bit like the it used to be called corporate social responsibility didn't it almost like it's a something we have to do um a box we have to tick i think we're, we're only recently starting to evolve as a as a world um, social consciousness, let's say, into the understanding that we don't have a choice. It has to be integral, not just ecological sustainability, but the principle of sustainable business has to be integrated into all of our business activities. And so as an organization, Reckitt tends to think about sustainability as a whole, as um, the effect, the positive effect that our brands can have on the world and therefore the, the effect that our company through its scale can have effect have on the world um, and the business activities that are needed in order to continue to have that effect, if that makes sense. So uh, one of our um, very senior leaders a couple of years ago uh, explained it as um, both doing good and doing well. So in order to continue to do good, utilizing our scale and our, our reach of, of billions of, of users, um, we have to do well commercially um, to ensure that that scale is maintained. And so our perspective, I think, as an organization is that the, the two things are intrinsically linked. You know, the opportunity to do, do good things and to, to have a positive effect is, is only really contingent on our ability to maintain our, our growth as a business, our profitability as a business. Um, and I think we're, we're quite open about that. I think it's super important that you know, companies like ours are transparent about the role that they play. If I come back to the point I mentioned earlier about trust in commerce and, and, and brand owners in particular, rather than or in addition to governments, um, I, I think we have to acknowledge that it, if we're a business, we have to operate as a business to continue to have that effect. You choose, you choose a brand you want to choose for this example, but a particular product has to have that full life cycle it has to be looked at in every single way through the packaging, through the distribution, through the um, ingredients that are using. I mean, what could you give us an example of how you've done that with one of your with one of your brands? Absolutely, yeah. So we we're actually working on on those type of initiatives throughout our our portfolio all the time. And we have been for some years, and, and we use a, a an internal sustainability calculator. To, to input and to track all of the the kind of most influential metrics uh, that that will guide the the continued improvement of the sustainability profile of, of the business and therefore you know through each brand and each each product 
Um, the, the most recent example is some work that we've been doing on our um, hair, air care, sorry, air care, not hair care, air care brand, Airwick. Um, so air care is the, the category name that we give it, so air fresheners to, to the average listener. Um, and the what we recognised is that the various components of, of the product itself, of the packaging, um, aspects of the distribution chain uh, could be could be improved in terms of their sustainability. So when I talk about sustainability, I don't just mean the material use or the ecological impact. Um, I mean the kind of uh, societal equity, um, and the uh, responsible manufacture in terms of the way we look after our teams, our staff, our uh, third-party suppliers, and, and so on. Um, so we've kind of we built this uh, map of the, the value chain and looked at all the key intervention points that, that were needed in order to, to vastly improve the, the overall sustainability profile of the particular product lines we were looking at. Um, and what you find is that uh, through, I suppose, a, a kind of organic improvement over years, the it's relatively difficult to make some of these improvements. So we, we kind of, we can see conceptually that um, removing a uh, carton board from the packaging, for instance, um, makes quite a big difference to the uh, water usage throughout the, the supply chain, particularly in the early stage of, of manufacture. On balance, those alternatives are slightly less sustainable. Um, so have a slightly greater impact on the environment overall than the carton board that we were using. Um, so we looked at all the various kind of physical components, um, all the processes that we undertake to, to get to the finished product, um, all the way back as far as the sourcing of the fragrance ingredients. So we, it, it's a case of putting in place the, um, the kind of measurement criteria by which we uh, select the fragrances, um, the, the uh, governance of the way that our fragrance partners develop those fragrances in the first place, through to our uh, supply chain that we manage internally, um, which is the uh, the creation of things like packaging. Um, although the devices we we source externally through um, sort of third parties, so we need to look at their working conditions and uh, the material sourcing that they have. So what you end up with is this this very detailed uh, kind of value chain map. Um, and the primary areas that we we looked at for improvement, ironically. Um, were not necessarily the ones that we have direct influence over, the things that we make. Um, because as a company, we've put a lot of effort in the last sort of 10, 15 years into big improvements in some of the, the major impact aspects of, of uh, sustainability, like carbon footprint, water usage uh, at manufacture sites, um, uh, release of, uh, of waste uh, at those manufacture sites and all this kind of thing. What we found was that the biggest impact that we could have is in the user behavior. So <clears throat> people don't uh, dispose of, of uh, packaging responsibly. Um, they, uh, the, they don't recycle in, in a lot of geographies. Um, they tend to have uh, quite sort of wasteful behaviors in, in buying the products and then you know, not finishing the use of the product and buying another one and, and so on. Um, and so what we found was that coaching better behaviors in in the, the use of the products was probably going to be more impactful than the changes that we also made in the the, um, the value chain, things like um, uh, entirely recycled PET for our blister packs, for example, um, 
recycled component, uh, recycled uh, material content in some of the components in the devices, um, reducing the the amount of plastic used in the devices, and so on. So there are some uh, improvements that we made in the things that we directly control, but then. The, we're already still looking at the the ways of influencing people's behavior, whether implicitly or explicitly, to improve the eventual total life cycle impact of the the products. Okay, and do you, when looking at um, individual products, because you've 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 got the luxury of having so many different and numerous products across different ranges, do you see commonalities? across it so that you go oh actually we can change that because of and on these we could also do exactly the same absolutely yeah um i, I think my supply colleagues would probably see it not as a luxury but as an added complexity but uh, <laughs> when, when when we as designers are suggesting maybe we could carry over that learning to something else we see it as a luxury yes um very much so i, I think the the principles that you establish in in one piece of structural packaging uh, are relatively straightforward to transfer to to other bits of structural packaging or the um, operation of specific uh, principles of filling line management uh, similarly can be transferred between uh, lines in different geographies uh, filling different types of products and so on so absolutely there are there are learnings that as soon as we validate we roll out across the business out of curiosity some organizations promote their carbon so if they've carbon footprinted a particular product they'll actually put it into their uh, maybe their financial reporting or their environmental impact report or some kind of sustainability report or some companies are in a closed group so we know that um you know nike patagonia and a bunch of others are all in a very closed group where they actually share so adidas tells nike exactly what the carbon footprint and everything is in their shoes to their competitor to in order to push it i mean where do you where do you sit with that do you do you promote what it is that you're doing and um share the carbon footprint of each of the um products or you know where where are you in that it's a bit of both um so as you've probably seen in our annual reporting uh we we have key metrics that we track uh and we we publish our ambitions um you're probably familiar with the the most recent one um aimed at 2030 uh kind of you know where we'll get to by 2030 in some of these these really important areas that have a big impact but alongside that we also are part of industry bodies um that are that have a certain amount of of information shared between um the kind of the arbiter of the body and some of our key competitors to ensure that we're, as an industry, we're pushing forward rather than um, just individual um, sort of brand owners or, or companies. I think one of the things that's really important for us to do more of is an initiative that we we began last year, which was to uh, map the uh, recycling facilities um, of, of primary sort of recycling providers, understanding what facilities they have. So specifically, what kind of materials can they deal with? What are the processes that they employ to, to deal with them at those sites? And pairing that up to a, a way of providing that information in, in usable terms to the end user, to an individual. So that, for instance, if you were to scan a particular pack, um, the, the, the digital part of the, the experience would tell you uh, this pack needs to be recycled in this way, uh, you can do it at this location, or parts of it can be left um, with your normal waste outside your property for local councils or, or, or so on to collect. 
Um, and the intention is that we build that database and make it available to our direct competitors so that you know anyone who makes and sells a product that has high-density polyethylene as its its primary structural pack, for instance, can connect to this database and tell their users where the the product can be recycled, anything they need to do to prepare it, like strip off a shrink sleeve, for example, um, remove labels if that's necessary, um, so that we, we drive to better behaviors. We talk about it internally as compliance. So, you know, we, we want to get compliance to the best possible uh, recycling and disposal behaviors uh, with anyone who uses the, the product. That's really good. That's um, I love it. The the waste thing I particularly like because it's so complex. I mean, even in the UK, it's driven by uh, anyway. Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> nightmare. Um, but I think so- it, I think that's a it's a particularly important area that companies like ours need to. Um, to give a lot more thought, you know, we all all of, uh, companies in the the FMCG world are looking at the the provenance of the materials they use for their packaging. And of course, we're conscious that we generate a lot of packaging, and so there's lots of post consumer resins being used. There's lots of kind of recyclable um, stickers going onto things, but ultimately, we're entirely reliant on the the end user. And so making it easy for them to make the right decisions and take the right actions has to be one of our priorities. It's getting wrapped to um, try and make it more uniform across the whole of the UK and in in geographies that they have a much more uniform approach to waste, it's worked a lot better. So for example, Germany, the UK, we allowed councils to choose what colours they had. I mean, how much more... I remember Rap talking about this in the early 2000s and going we're redesigning our waste and then they came up with the strategy of allowing councils to do what they wanted and it's like why can't you just have everything the same well i think there's there's um there's an element of of the right thing in that first step so actually we we use this approach sometimes within our business which is to give multiple um stakeholders the opportunity to create the solution um, but then, you, crucially, you've got to have a point in time at which someone uh, reviews those solutions, picks through whatever criteria, picks the best best working solution, and then rolls that out across everywhere. You know, continuing to operate, as you said, multiple councils using different ways, different colours, different types of materials they can deal with, um, sorting or not sorting. It doesn't make sense to continue to, to sort of prolong that. Um, dissolution of of organization at some point it has to be consolidated and even if necessary imposed on on everywhere yeah no absolutely uh, how did you get into sustainability I, I think that's actually probably the easiest answer i'm going to give you today is i'm a designer um designers ask any designer particularly product designers industrial designers they'll tell you that it's it's just the way we think um we, we're trained that way so i'm not suggesting that uh, some kind of amazing altruist uh, <laughs> i was born this way but uh, i think you you see that designers if you're creating something physical which is the majority of the way we were trained certainly back a long time ago when i was trained um you you feel automatically that sense of responsibility you're putting something out into the world that 
people interact with that has a physical effect on the world, whether it's leaving something behind, whether it's changing something. Um, and so you you automatically feel that responsibility. That designers simply uh, automatically think about the effect that their work has on the world. That's That's what we do. If there was one piece of advice that you could give our listeners that were starting off on this journey as a designer, what what would that be? Um, turn around and be a marketer. You'll be paid better. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <clears throat> um, I, I think it, it has to be educate yourself. Uh, I think the if you if you're already interested in design and the creative services, your your passion is almost certainly already in the right place. Your heart's in the right place. The important thing is to become a, a relatively knowledgeable authority on the levers that you have available to you to to create that positive effect. You know, educate yourself on materials technology, on on production technologies, on things like the the recycling infrastructure, which, as you said, is a bit of a nightmare. Um, and I, I think there's probably the less obvious areas of expertise that you also really want to, to kind of dig into, which is um, people's behaviors, you know, the the reason for people's behavior. So what's the context for the reason people can't be bothered to recycle? Actually, it's not that they can't be bothered. It's more that they don't know how it's off-putting because there isn't consistency to your earlier point. Um, maybe it's not communicated intuitively. It's lots and lots of leaflets with lots and lots of words. And, you know, most people have a lot of other worries going on, particularly at the moment. Um, and so I think the the education part, become an expert in whatever it takes to have that, that positive effect on the world. Good, good advice. What leadership role do you think consumer good companies should take to achieve net zero? I think it's far greater than we have currently, to be honest. Uh, and I think everyone inside Racket and probably in our key competitors would say the same thing. You know, we... We're making big steps. You know, we're we're vastly improving our sustainability profile in a number of a number of areas. But I don't think any of us feel that's enough. We we absolutely feel we we need to do more. Um, and I think a lot of that is not just in the actions; it's in the way that we present ourselves as brands. So, as I said earlier on, FMCG or, or CPG is probably not viewed by individuals by the, the world at large as a kind of thought leader in sustainability issues. Um, you know, I think we we sometimes kind of assume the role of scapegoat um, when it comes to things like plastics and, uh, and the packaging in general. But really, I think we could be more proactive in, uh, in helping people to understand why that behavior needs to change, whether it's their behavior, so the end user, or whether it's our behavior as the brand owner, the manufacturer. Um, I think being more vocal and more articulate about the effect that we have on the world and how that can change. This is where I, I think our uh, the, the leadership of our industry, this is where we need to be. Do you think that the sector as a whole is responding quickly enough to the climate emergency? No, no. And I, I think this is, this is the point, is that there's no one in, inside Reckitt or our key competitors, you know, the, the Unilevers and the PNGs and, and so on of this world, um, I don't think anyone would say that we are having enough impact, that we are um, moving far enough from do no harm to replenish. You know, uh, there's a very uh, kind of watershed 
um, announcement by the uh, the CEO of Walmart a few months ago. I'm sure you're familiar with it, where he said that we need to shift from the this principle of of do no harm. You know, our our industry has evolved over the the last sort of thirty years from um, provide whatever we think people need to um, reduce our impact to do no harm. Now we've we've got to shift to regenerative. We've got to figure out how we actively fix some of the problems that now exist in the world. And it's more than just ecological, of course. It was massive societal problems actually there. You could argue they're at the root of some of our ecological problems. Um, and I think that's the responsibility that, that our industry has to take. It's it's that shift from you know doing no harm and, and continually reducing the the impact we have to actually increasing the impact we have in the other direction. It's got to be regenerative. It's got to be replenishing our, our planet, if that's the, the the core message. Brilliant. Well, Joss, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a pleasure. Thanks, Will. Thanks for listening to the Sustainable Business Podcast. If you want to learn more about sustainable business and talk to other like-minded professionals, why not join our online community at sustainabilitysolved.org? Join now and find a space to collaborate, learn and inspire others to become more environmental. And if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you get every episode and don't forget to follow Green Element on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram.